Um, move down just a little bit. As I was going over this, I was reminded of back in the early 1960s. They had they were the Congress was having hearings about the mafia, and uh, they had had a crime boss in, and and one of the uh, senators was questioning him real sternly and said, "Isn't it a fact that you are?" One of the one of the heads of organized crime, and he said, "No, in fact, there's no such thing." He says, "What do you mean there's no such thing?" He says, "Whenever I see crime happen, it looks pretty unorganized to me." <laughs> uh, with uh, with with the exception of uh, the hand of of the Holy Spirit and uh, using the Bible, uh, I've really come to the conclusion that there's nothing more disorganized than Baptist. Period. The uh, <laughs> it's and. Uh, it's really interesting to see how man thinks they're going to go one way and, and the Holy Spirit steps in and, and moves in, in, in another way. As we move into the 1800s, um, the, uh, there, was a gr- there was a second Great Awakening. The first Great Awakening, you might recall, um, started out with guys like uh, George Whitfield and, and people like that. And, and it was kind of... It was it was it was a team that had a lot of all stars on it. The uh, the second great awakening was kind of like the Miami Dolphins and the no name defense. There was not any real big names involved. How many of you can even relate to the Miami Dolphins and no name defense? We're <laughs> dating ourselves, okay, Mark. Go again. Well, <laughs> very there, few know there, that. <laughs> there were there weren't very many big big names, but. A, uh, a revival broke out in Kentucky, and instead of go west, young man, it came east, and then spread up and down the coast. And uh, in the in the early 1800s, that was a um, that was a big event, and it's something that really hasn't happened in our lifetimes at all. It's something that we haven't experienced, but. There should be, we should do a whole class just on the Great Awakenings in history when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit sweeps through a country and what an experience that, that must be. Um, something that I don't think we can even really begin to comprehend what it's like. But, but it's happened several times in the United States and this was a big one. The, uh, go ahead, Jay. Um, the other, the other thing that is interesting is that there were traveling, I call it traveling churches, but, but during, during the revolution, and of course during the revolution, the Church of England was still the official church in a lot of places, especially Virginia, and the Baptists were persecuted. And so you've got a war raging around you, and you've got, um, and you're being persecuted by the by the Church of England on both sides. And um, a number of churches, one in particular, um, uh, Craig Lewis's church in Virginia, just got up and left. And they went to Kentucky. I mean, the whole church, the whole church. got up and left. I mean, can you imagine? Okay, everybody, we're going we're gonna to move to, you know, and we're going to all go move to Mexico. And, uh, you know, just we all leave. And started a new started a new work in. I mean, in number of miracles there <laughs> that they all were in agreement. <laughs> Once again, Baptist. <laughs> and you know, we just traveled down through Kentucky and some of that area, 
It wasn't like load up your stuff in the van and we'll travel down Interstate 24, you know. No roads. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It is. But because of persecution, and God is has used persecution greatly for the spread of the gospel. And probably will again. Yep. It's, as much as we don't like to think about it's it. It's very effective, though. It's a really good... It's surgery is what it is. It's, yep. it's, an, extreme, it's an extreme movement. And anyway, that, there, there were several of those, but they, uh, that particular one started over the next 40 years many of the Baptist churches that are still in Kentucky today. Um, and then, did you hear any more about that one? Okay. Nope. We're gonna, I'm going to try to keep things moving today for a change. Go ahead to the next <laughs> slide, Jay. Uh, John Peck. And uh, John Peck was, a, uh, was really the first Baptist missionary to the West, the first uh, Baptist to go west of the Mississippi River. Um, I mentioned him the other day. He, he founded the first Baptist church of St. Louis, which is still there. Um, and it... It's not a very big church today, but it, but it, it's still there. They have uh, also, uh, he, was, he had major outreach to everybody in the West. Big outreach to the Indians, to the Native Americans especially, um, but to, to settlers in the West, um, as well as traders and so forth. And he was originally supported, sent by the, do I have it up there? The, uh, well, the... United Society for the Spread of the Gospel, and uh, which later on became known as the Triennial Convention. Um, and I don't really have the Triennial Convention thing in today, but just as a quick preview, the Triennial means it meets every three years. And it was a time, there was a time in, in U.S. history when the Baptists were fairly organized. And they met... There was a big convention in Philadelphia, I believe it was every year, that was in Philadelphia. Met every three years, and its main thing was missions. And they decided who they were going to support and who they, who they would stop supporting and so forth. And, and it, was, it was big. It was, you know, today, today there are over 20 different um, Baptist denominations, not counting all of the independent Baptists. Um, but there, there are many, many different groups. In those days, um, all these groups came together on the Triennial Convention, and they supported John Peck. But then they decided to, for one reason or another, to withdraw their support of Peck. And the Massachusetts um, Missionary Society picked him up at a, at a whopping $5 a week, uh, which, though, in those days, that was, that was good money. Um, that, that, was, that was quite a bit. But he was a huge influence in what we have today, um, Christianity in the West. Um, and what Baptists there were, you know, you know, there just aren't, we here in Sheraton, in Lucas County, we have several Baptist churches and, and you know, this being a pretty good sized church. You go much farther north than Lucas County, there aren't a lot of Baptists, um, comparatively speaking to, you know, other groups in Iowa, but you get down in Missouri, you, all you got to do is cross the border into Missouri. And you get down where we were traveling, and that's every all, corner has yeah. a Baptist church on yeah. it, of one sort. The next, the next one is, uh, I think, I, okay, still got him on there. Um, what else do I have on him? Oh, 
During his 40, look at the bottom one, is the main one. During his 40-year ministry, Pat contributed to the establishment of 900 Baptist churches. Saw 600 pastors ordained and 32,000 added to the Baptist faith. That's not bad. That's, <laughs> that's probably more than I'm going to get done. Uh, probably more than you and me together. Get probably done. more than all of us <laughs> That's That's pretty impressive. In addition to the establishment of several things in, uh, in Illinois. Got anything more on him? No. Nope. Okay, you get the next one here, I think. The next one should be... Isaac McCoy. And Isaac McCoy was a Baptist preacher who settled in Indiana. I have up there Pioneer, Indiana. It's in the days before Indiana was you know, the home of Michael Jackson. And uh, it, was, it was a... Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? Bobby Knight and Michael Jackson. The... Larry Bird, okay. Finally get somebody in there. The... Okay, I'll stop now. He, he really started working with the Indians, and specifically the Kickapoo and uh, Potawatomi Indian tribes. I, I, I'll let you, because I know that you've got a lot on him, so why don't you go ahead. Well, his burden for the Indians started when he was a reserve soldier in the War of 1812, and the Indians, especially the Shawnee Indians, were under Tecumseh and were allied with the British in this war. And um, Isaac McCoy was asked to lead groups in making raids on the Indians and the British and so on. And it was during this time that he saw the desperate need of the Indians that um, they were being ravaged by firewater or alcohol, that they were just being literally destroyed. And he concluded in his um, exposure to this that they needed the Bible in their own language, that the only solution to this was to get the Word of God. And he also realized that the Indians were, were really facing extinction because of this. And... Um, he he was burdened for the souls of the Indians, and he appealed to the um, mission, the Baptist board from that came out of the Triennial um, Convention about the need for ministry there, and um, not just one particular area. He ministered all throughout the. Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, on into the Oklahoma, Missouri, and so on, and and traveled incredible amounts in really rough. I mean, we think you drive 16 hours in an air-conditioned van. Wow, it wipes you out. Well, they were in horseback through timber and everything, and um Without it really radio. right right <laughs> and um it, it was he said it, it it's hard to find a sober indian village and he was just i mean to me it was amazing reading about this because if you go to indian reservations now you see how alcohol has devastated it and I didn't know it was such a major problem back then that it was introduced. But um, he 
from his life, he was he came to three basic beliefs. First, the American Indians were not hopeless barbarians. Second, the American Indians were perishing because nothing was being done to save them. And thirdly, that if a homeland was not created, they would be annihilated as a race. You know, we, we hear a lot of um, um, kind of disregard, well, they rounded them up and put them on a reservation. It was Isaac McCoy and his burden for their souls and for their very physical existence that went to the Congress and, and started appealing to them that something needs to be done. And he was made aware of some real evil men in Congress at that time that really wanted genocide to wipe out all of the American Indians. And so it was his, um, his plan and his uh, purpose to develop a, a policy that the government would endorse from it, um, the reservation, although it, and it was kind of in his mind the lesser of the evils, that something needed to be done to provide a haven for him. And, uh, and it was because of his involvement in this that that was developed and, and really that they hadn't been completely um, destroyed. He faced problems with um, the mission agency that he was under because um, he got involved with the political realm. He, he didn't let up any of his uh, missions endeavors, but his mission support was completely cut. He didn't let that turn him away from what he believed God called him to do. And um, he, he traveled thousands of miles and really was one of the, if you're familiar at all with church history, the name David Brainerd sticks out. He was a missionary to Indians. Isaac McCoy was a much greater influence, not minimizing David Brainerd, but um, a much greater influence to the American Indians than anyone else. And it was his passion for their souls. Again, the missions endeavor. And um, he would travel. Uh, he wrote in his journal, he called it a putrid fever. And um, horrid migraines, body fevers, infections in the head and chest, um, and the mental anguishes that came with this, that this that eventually took his life when he was, was still in his 30s. Um, and through it, he faced conflict from the Indians, although they came to find that he was their friend. He faced conflict from the missions people, cutting his um, support and so on. But... He was mightily used of God to bring the gospel, and they saw some some great revivals brought. Um, I don't know if you're going to go into the Columbian College. He saw a number of Indians in Indiana that he wanted trained for the ministry. And um, 
he there was Columbian College that we may touch on a little bit in the Washington D.C. It was a college, Luther Rice. Adoniram Judson was one of the great missionaries that were sent out of. Um, well, are we going to get you, to that? We got big, I got big on. Okay, Judson. we'll get to that. <laughs> Luther Rice was the kind of the PR man to raise funds for missions endeavors. And Luther Rice was burdened about training people for men for the ministry. And so they purchased 46 acres near Washington, D.C. and established Columbian College. And it really, it really had some issues in and of itself. Um, but Isaac McCoy took seven or nine men. He wrote to Luther Rice and wrote to some of the others and didn't hear a response. And and you have to remember, that's back in the, you know, they didn't have the FedEx and email and things like this. So he just said, I'm going to take these men to the Columbian College for training. He got there and they said, we don't want any Native Americans in our college. I mean, here were Christians with Christians and and he didn't let that turn him away. There was a Hamilton College up in New York. He said, fine, we'll take him up there. Well, you know, just travel from Washington, D.C. to New York after you'd gone from Kentucky. And um, and there were major problems in unbiblical thinking. And uh, in fact, Isaac McCoy's two sons were in Columbian College. And they said, in fact, um, we think you ought to get your sons out of this college anyway. If if you're going after the American Indians and their souls, um we don't want to train your sons either. And yet nothing turned, you know, you could come to a point where you say, forget it. You know, you cut my support. You don't want the American Indians. What? And yet he was faithful to the end. He, he died. Um, you know, many of these were just buried in some cow pasture. Nobody knows about him, but God does. But his labors had a profound impact, and uh, he raised up many, many godly works. There was a revival among the American Indians. But as I look at all this, it just shows me things never change. If there is someone battling for souls, there's going to be spiritual warfare against it. And uh, the, the same problems the American Indians face today, they faced back then. But God has had a remnant. He always has. The, uh, he, among the political adversaries that he had were some very powerful scoundrels, um, including um, Thomas Jefferson's nephews uh, who had settled in, in Kentucky. And probably the worst one, though, uh, was William Henry Harrison, who would become president of the United States. And when you read, when you really get into William Henry Harrison, <clears throat> he was a scoundrel. He was a scoundrel of, of, of great magnitude. Of course, he was also the president that, uh, <clears throat> that holds the record for the longest um, inaugural address in the driving rain, uh, talked for 100 minutes and then caught pneumonia and died 30 days later. It's the shortest presidency. So that, that part was good. Uh, <coughs> because he was, he was a scoundrel. 
Um, you mentioned about Tecumseh. You know, Tecumseh was trying to unite all of the Indians uh, and was not, the Indians were the only people more disorganized than the Baptists. And uh, <clears throat> they were, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but uh, it's just, you want to read an interesting segment of history where you've got these different factions <clears throat> that are all, you know, in conflict with each other and the stories of Tecumseh and, and, and at the same time, some major physical disasters. You know how, oh, oh my, the, you know, the, the hurricane that wipes out, uh, that wiped out uh, New Orleans and all that. At the same time that all this is going on, um, probably the biggest earthquake in the history of the Midwest, uh, the New Madrid earthquake um, down, down in Missouri, and the Mississippi River then flowing into the Ohio and the Missouri ran backwards for three days and just wiped out town after town and, and killed thousands. And, and you know, all this is going on at the same time. And it was, it was a time, it's a time of American history that's completely overlooked and yet is just fascinating. Uh, and, you know, we mention it just in passing, but if you've worked at all, and we've been exposed a little bit this last year trying to work with the Iowa legislature on the gay marriage thing, this is a major ordeal that he undertook for the cause of these souls. And that he was successful, it's evident that God's hand was there. And um, as Mark said, battling really some very wicked, you know, we tend to think our American history is full of great people. There's great people, but there's very wicked people that um, had no biblical perspective whatever. And, um, Absolutely. Awful bad. Jay, you want to go to the next slide for me? Uh, the next one, I think, is Judson. Um, yes. I never say this name, but I always say Adoniram. That's not how you say it. How you say it? Adoniram. Adoniram. Okay. Adoniram Judson. Uh, was born in Malden, Massachusetts, and he attended uh, Providence College and was a genius. This guy was one of the smartest people ever born on this continent. Um, he, he, was, he was extremely, extremely smart. Just to give you an idea, he, um, when he was 12 years old, he was teaching his church's adult Sunday school class <laughs> through the book of Revelation in the original language uh, when he was 12. Uh, this, this, again, not too shabby. This guy was really, really smart. He enrolled in a Providence uh, College, and by the time he was um, just a few months into his freshman year, uh, he had determined that he was an atheist. And that he was not going to... I mean, he had, he had a great church background. He knew the Bible inside out. And he just decided, no, I'm, I'm, I don't believe this stuff. And um, whenever he argued with anybody, he could argue them down. He was, he was brilliant. He was incredibly smart. And his professors couldn't stand up to his intellect. Uh, nobody could. He had a roommate uh, by the name of Jacob Ames, who was his, 
like I said, was his roommate, and came to Providence uh, College as as a devout Christian man, and left as an atheist, uh, and left you know, and gave and gave full credit for being enlightened to Adoniram uh, Judson that this that this was this was the guy who who made him see the error of his ways. Um, Judson's father tried to set him straight and then realized that if he talked to him too much longer that that he would be convincing him that he should not be a Christian. And after he graduated, he he went from New England uh, down to New York uh, for an interview with a theater company. And coming back home, he stopped at a hotel. He was just exhausted. He was he was beyond tired. And he went in and you know said to the to the innkeeper, I need a room, I'm just exhausted. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't have any rooms. And uh, he and he said, Sir, you, you you've gotta let me stay. I'm just so exhausted I can't take another step. Yeah, I'll stay in the lobby. You can get me up before it's time to open, you know, and I'll pay you for a room, but but let me stay. And he said, okay, I tell you what, I do have one room, but I wasn't going to rent it out because the man next door is dying. And he's, he's in terrible, he's in terrible shape. He's, he's, he's screaming, he's, he's cursing, he's, he's yelling profanities. He's just, he's awful. And I didn't, but if you think that it won't bother you, you can, you can stay in that room. He said, it won't bother me. I'll, I'll, I'll stay there. And, and so he went in and, and he, the screams were going on and, and, and Judson had the pillow over his head and was trying to, trying to keep the sounds from, from coming in. And, and the next morning, um, he got up and he went to leave and he said, you know, so what happened to the guy? Did he, is he okay? And he said, no, no, he died. He, he died in the night. And he said, Wow. Just out of curiosity, you know, here somebody dies in your hotel. What do you, you know? What do you do? I mean, that's. He said, "Well, you know, I have to try to find the next of kin. I have to, have to, have to do this." And, and uh, he said, "And I've gone through his effects, his papers, and and I just can't understand how this man came to this end. He he was he was a well-educated man. He was he was a man of of influence. He was a man of 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 substance. He, he's a graduate of Providence College. And, of course, Judson, well, I graduated from Providence. Huh? He said, what was his name? He said, his name was Jacob Ames, his roommate. And he left. And he said, Judson wrote that as he left, he couldn't even see his horse's head for the tears. And only two words kept coming to him over and over again. Death and hell. Death and hell. Death and hell. And that was the turning point in Judson's life. And he knew he was wrong. And he knew because of his his error and his arrogance that Jacob Ames was in hell. And 
I mean, what a, what a thing to have hanging over you. Can you imagine that? Gee. Anyway, he decided that at that point that he would go to India as a, as a missionary. Now, he was not a Baptist. He, was a, he, he had grown up as a Congregationalist and decided to go as a missionary. I mean, he decided, he decided on that horse that day that he would go. And, and um, he got his support and, and went, to, went to India. On his way to India, he was married, and on his way to India, he and his wife and Luther Rice went, was also a Congregationalist missionary knew that they would be meeting William Carey. And William Carey was like the most famous person you know, in India uh, from the West. And, and uh, so, so as he's going, they decided that they would have to study and prepare themselves to defend infant baptism. And as he prepared that, his defense of pedobaptism, he decided that he was wrong. And, you know, it wasn't William Carey that convinced him. His, his study of the Bible decided that he was wrong. And when he got to India, uh, he, and, he and his wife and, and Rice all um, became Baptists and were baptized by William Carey. And rode back home, told him what happened. And, of course, his, his uh, credentials were pulled, his... His support, uh, his support cut to zero. And because he didn't have credentials, he had to leave India and went to Burma. And Burma, um, go ahead to the next one. I'll show you where Burma is. Okay. Uh, Burma is, you see, India to the west, India and what's today Bangladesh, China to the north, and then Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam is all over there, and that's today it's called Myanmar, and that's that's Burma. Uh, now go back one for me, if you can. Okay, and I'm wrong. Go ahead. My bad. Okay, um, he was he was in he was in Burma for seven years before he had his first convert. Um, this was not an easy field. Um, he he was there for, for seven years for his first convert, and he buried two wives there. He uh, buried four children there, and but he stayed faithful. And in fact, now you go ahead to the next one. He he was the one who translated the the Bible into into Burmese. His wife uh, translated the Bible into Thai, and. Uh, as a result of his efforts, a quarter of a million, um, a quarter of a million people in Burma became Christians. And, in fact, uh, I guess I didn't write it down here, but in fact, Burma. Go ahead, I think. Yeah, Burma became the world's leading exporter of missionaries. There were there were more Burmese missionaries than there were Americans or English or anybody else. Um, and they sent them into Thailand and in, into uh, Kampuchea, Cambodia, um, Laos, you know, that area, into India. And, and they had just a tremendous... And, and I, when I say a quarter of a million 
people came to know Christ. I'm not talking about the people that these missionaries. I'm saying in Burma, a quarter of a million people directly <clears throat> becoming Christians because of the efforts of, of uh, Judson. And Luther Rice traveled with them, as Mark mentioned, to India. And uh, through his independent study of scriptures, he saw that infant baptism was not right. He, too, ended up being baptized by William Carey. And, and um, he then traveled back to the U.S. He wanted in person to tell the congregational board that he was now a believer in baptism by immersion. And, and uh, so he came back and told them, and they immediately cut his support and, as was mentioned, Judson's. So Luther Rice really became the representative of missions work and traveled thousands of miles throughout the South, throughout all of then the United States, raising awareness of missions, raising funds for missions, and, and really he's the one that um, made it possible much of what went on in Burma to, to keep the missionaries there. And it, it just reminds you that each one has a design and a purpose that, that God gave. He, he literally sacrificed his life and well-being for missions work for this Columbian College to raise up um, servants of the Lord. And um, he was the voice for missions. And like we've said, the Bap- our Baptist forefathers... One of their distinguishing marks was a burden for lost souls, missions. We got up here um, that during uh, during his time where he uh, was was leading this charge for missions, the triennial the triennial convention membership went from eight thousand to six hundred thousand. They supported uh, twenty five mission fields, one hundred twelve missionaries. And uh, by the time that he died, 15 Baptist colleges and, and uh, universities had been formed, pretty much through his, through his whole thing. By the way, you mentioned Columbian College a number of times. Uh, Columbian College is today George Washington University, uh, which is wherever, whenever the president gets shot, they take him to GW. Um, and you know, the, it is probably the premier medical uh, teaching university on on the east coast and uh, but I think they have absolutely no yeah not it, only Baptist but any Christian ties at I all think today. even the properties it ceased being a college and then was sold or George Washington University was started so there's really other than the property no connection but. Uh, which was too bad Why is truth so divisive? Because it's a matter of salvation. I mean, in baptizing infants, they're baptizing them into the church. It's a means of grace. And um, 
it it is a, a major. See, we live in a we live in a society that we've really de-emphasized baptism. We we talk some about this on the missions trip in one of our discussions. We emphasize making a public confession of faith. The church we attended last Sunday, a young girl came forward and gave a public testimony that she had received Christ as her Savior, and she wanted to be baptized. Um, without getting, we don't have long for a rabbit trail, so at any rate. But baptism always has been the public confession of faith. We've kind of added another, come forward and tell people that you've become a believer and that now you want to get baptized. Um, and we've minimized baptism as well, kind of just a step of obedience. Baptism throughout history is a definite statement. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am unashamed of that. My faith and hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And uh, it is following faith in Christ. And it is a public testimony to let everybody know if you're on God's side, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm, I'm on the team. And it identifies us with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So it's the heart of the gospel, and, and we really have minimized it in our day. It, well, the, the, the thing of it is that, that when, you, when you say, why is baptism divisive, what many, including myself, earlier, called baptism isn't baptism. Sprinkling a baby is not baptism. That is sprinkling a baby. The baby had no, no choice in it, no, no possibility of saying, I don't want to do this or I do want to do this. Baptism is when you are old enough to make a choice for Jesus Christ and then following him in the waters of, of baptism. The, and a Christian who refuses to be baptized or, or drags his or her feet to be baptized, is, is just, it's the same as the young man who says to the young woman, I love you, I love you with all my heart, I want to spend my life with you, let's move in together. Now, I'm not ready to make a commitment, but I do want all the benefits. And that's the Christian who says, I'm a Christian, but refuses baptism, really, is that... Do, do we need to wrap? Do we need to stop? Getting there, but... Okay, well, Jay, go, go ahead a couple to, to uh, Alexander um, Campbell. There you go. This guy is one of the reasons why Baptists have stepped so far back away from baptism. Um, Alexander Campbell uh, was, was born in Ireland, raised a Presbyterian. His dad was a Presbyterian. He and his, his dad were really close. They, they moved to, to America. And in Bible study together, they came to the conclusion that um, baptism by immersion was what was correct. So they became Baptists in 1812. Go ahead to the next one. This became the whole focus of his ministry. And so, so what we're having today is this backlash from 
this focus of, oh, it's got to be baptism by immersion, it's got to be the baptism by immersion, which well, the next step was the heresy of saying, this is how you get saved. You're not saved until you're dunked. And that is not true. That is heresy. That's right. And that was his, and, it, and uh, he went, um, it went on then to, after, after you had a lot of Baptists saying, no, you can't, that's not right. That's not right. He and his followers, known as Campbellites, um, stopped uh, calling themselves Baptists, and they founded the Disciples of Christ, uh, sometimes called the, just the Christian Church. Um, and I don't think hardly anybody that's in the Disciples of Christ today would know that this, is a, that this was the beginning of their their church, but um, it's known as baptismal regeneration, that baptism plays a part in your regeneration, in your salvation, which it absolutely does not. And so um, you see how important it is. Um, but we, we've, we've reacted to that. Right? I mean, we don't even know why we reacted to this. I mean, it was back in the... 1800s, but the reaction to that has pulled us back to where, where we don't even hardly mention it. And, well, that's really not what being a Baptist is about. Well, it's a bigger thing than what, and historically, it's been a much bigger thing than what than what it is now. I think. All right. Any comments, questions? And what you admire, there have been a lot of movements to try to help people. But like about Isaac McCoy, he knew the gospel. He knew the word of God was the only solution. And he knew they had to get the scriptures in their language. And one of the things that just keeps rising to the surface is the burden for lost souls. And, you know, we ask ourselves the question. Who soul am I burdened for? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of your hand manifested in raising up individuals and movements and the work of you and to the point that it came to us. And Lord, what an awesome responsibility we have that we've been entrusted with truth. And I pray that you would stir our hearts to be burdened for the lost, to be burdened for souls, and that you would use us to minister the great news of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.